Welcome to After the Buzzer. I am Ian Busby. We are doing this a little late this week, but uh, it's actually good because we've got uh, some things to discuss, including the CFL award nominees. We Had we done it earlier in the week, we wouldn't have been able to do it. Both Danny and I had some big things happening in our personal lives. Him more than me, he's going to explain what happened to him. Um, on the day that we were supposed to do this, it was uh, he was a little unavailable. And I don't blame them. And I've got a lot of happening, um, including I'm getting excited for Grey Cup. We, it's a few weeks away here. I don't even know. It's all a blur here this fall. A lot of stuff happening in my world. Um, I'm working, doing uh, schooling, and uh, trying to keep up with the CFL in this podcast. And um, it's going to be a good ride into the playoffs. We discuss that, what we expect on the uh, last week of the season and uh whether some guys are going to play or not play and how you would handle that stuff and then uh we cover off a couple other things but one thing that we don't cover off is randy chevrier coming back to the calgary stampeders in a reserve role um just as an insurance policy but i'm super excited for him and i know he's excited um he's always ready and available to long snap whenever anybody needs it and it's probably fitting that he's still with the stamp he's back with the stampeders instead of having his last cfl gig be in regina um if i have when i do see him again i'm gonna laugh about that easily he can be back into the <laughs> the good old red and white instead of the green and green and white anyway we uh we found out about that news after we had uh, already recorded so it's not in there but uh if we did talk about it, we basically say, good, it's a, it's a fun story. Randy's back in the CFL and he gives me and a bunch of the old guys a little bit of hope. He may be, he's a little younger than me, but he's almost my age and he makes me feel, makes me feel young. Of course, he's, you know, firefighter calendar guy now. So he's doing a lot of things that I don't do. But anyway, uh, we let's get into the discussion that Danny and I have and we're going to start off with. Uh, why we're so late in the week and recording. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Have a great week. All right, Danny, we haven't uh, talked for a while. It's been uh, a week and a couple of days. Uh, it's been, we both have busy things going on. We were trying to do this a couple of days ago and this life gets in the way. Uh, but what I we want to say what life gets in the way means it means that I lost all power in my building <laughs> meant that I had no heat for 36 hours. So uh, as I explained to you and you very graciously understood, um, I was in no mood to record a podcast uh, at all. Well, you didn't have the Internet power to actually do it. Do you? Did you? I did. So basically, like I picked like it was the communal um, power that went out, not the individual uh, apartments. So I, I oh. kept power in my place, but because the communal power went out, um, in your building, you lost all the heat. We lost yeah. furnace. I mean, there were, there were no lights in the hallways or whatever, but whatever, it's a small building. You can use a flashlight, but no heat, uh, on literally the first real cold turn of the year was not, right. uh, was not ideal. I was not in a good mood. No. And, uh, we know what you're like when you're not in a good mood. Although sometimes I like to wind you up when you're not in a good mood and let you go uh that's how things go and i'm and i'm reaching the end of my semester and basically i have 
several weeks of uh, a lot of busyness happening, and then it's going to be Grey Cup, and I'm just going to let loose and go wild at Grey Cup. It's going to be great. I know. I booked my trip to Grey Cup, and I've got a ticket to the Spirit of Edmonton breakfast, and it sounds like uh, a lot of things are going to – enough things are going to be happening that I'm going to enjoy myself quite a bit. Hopefully, you can join me. Uh, that'll be dependent on – Oh, I will find out tomorrow if I am going regardless. I suspect that I am. Obviously looking forward to Grey Cup. Lots of football and lots of work between now and then. Um, but I'm hopeful that I will be there either way. And to be perfectly honest, I think there's a decent shot that the Stampeders could make it. Although they could also lose to the Riders. So, yeah, lots lots to talk about. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, I like the playoff breakdown. The awards night... I want to get to this first. The awards night is going to be on a Friday and they're opening it up to anybody who wants to come. So there's no ticket you have to buy to go to awards night. Awards night's generally on the Thursday. So it's a little bit different this year. The who I expect, I think should win. And I don't have a vote this year and you do. So you have a control over it. So you don't have to say who you would you like, but the league MOP this year. And after seeing the nominees and looking through the stats and uh, I think William Stanback is the league MOP right now. And what that guy's done in 11 games with 1,100 yards, he's a game changer for that team. When he's on a roll, that Montreal Alouettes team, I think, is as good as anybody. And I think they can beat anybody. And I think they have a chance to be in the Grey Cup. Uh, I, that would be my league MOP. It's going to be interesting to see because you don't get to vote on the East until the East gets decided by the East voters. Is that still the way it works? Yeah, that is correct. I, I received, uh, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, about half an hour ago, I received the nomination ballot. So I, I haven't opened it. I haven't looked at it. And I know who everyone is. I All-Stars, for me, I mean, All-Stars the one where it, it gets pretty interesting in a lot of spots. But um, I, I like Stanback coming out of the East. I, I, I'm fine with that. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I'm having a debate. Like, I, I honestly think, Kadeem Carey may have been the best running back in the league uh, this year, although I don't think that the majority of voters are going to vote for me. And I recognize that I have certain biases there, but I think that if you add in his receiving yards, I think he's tied for the lead league in yards or in yards from scrimmage. And I, I think that Kadeem Carey is right there. So that's interesting. I mean, I obviously don't agree with you on MOP. Um, I think that you can make the argument that there's no one who's been more important to his team. I think you can make the argument that on the offensive side of the ball, um, there's no one who's been more, most outstanding because remember it's outstanding, not valuable. Right. Um, I am going to vote for the nominee from the best team. Um, I honestly think that this Winnipeg team should win. So they, they chose Zach Kolaris. Um, I would have been perfectly happy if Adam Big Hill, if Willie Jefferson, if, uh, if Jeff Goat had been in there, I would have voted yeah. for for any of them. But it I sounded like there was a lot of vote splitting coming out of Winnipeg. So for those who don't know, the voters in each individual city nominate their their team awards. So as Danny is one of those voters, uh, I used to be one of them. Uh, and then out of the that, then you vote for your West out of the six categories, and then you get a vote between, you know east versus west at the end right so you do a, a, a few stages of voting and it always comes down to what i found interesting was winnipeg couldn't get to a consensus on most outstanding player or most outstanding defensive player because 
Adam Big Hill as your defensive player nominee. I couldn't argue against him, but you could also argue for Willie Jefferson, who I know some of the voters put as their most outstanding player. I would say he's had a he's just an excellent football player, and uh, Jeff Coat would have been in there as well. So it's I, I've had these conversations in the past because sometimes what happens is a guy I think should be the league MOP doesn't get nominated from his team. And specifically it happened to me. And when I was voting in 2011, I felt that Jamel Richardson was the best player in the league that year. He had 1800 yards. Uh, he carried that offense. He was Anthony Calvillo's safety blanket. Basically Calvillo had a fine year, but because he had the best receiver and they nominated Anthony Calvillo as the most outstanding player on that team. Well, I said, well, if that's the case, I will be voting for Travis Lule because I felt he was the second best. And the uh, yeah, it became a point of debate. And it's tough because Winnipeg had, it seems every time that they vote, they have a controversy over who they're picking, right? It's it's tough. When yeah, and there shouldn't be any controversy here. Like, look, I, I've said many times that I thought ultimately, like, I, I would have picked a Winnipeg defensive player in that situation, but like this is, there's no robbery here. There's no, I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no real controversy. Zach Claris is a great year. The team has lost two games, one of which let's well, not, I mean, well, he didn't play in, so he didn't play in. Um, Zach Claris is a great nominee and would be a great MOP selection. Um, I, I hear you on stand back. I mean, I think stand back is just such a force. And I think we've seen ultimately that Montreal team stay in the mix, despite, some pretty bad quarterback play and then, and, and, you know, them having to switch things up and then stand back's a big reason why. So is the O-line. You can't talk about the, no. the running backs without the O-line. But um, I think that like in the same way that I would have said 2016, 2017, um, less so 2018 because it was closer in 2018, but like I thought the stamps were the best team in the league and I thought they should win the majority um, of the awards. Unless there's, you know, like a coach who, whose team went from last to first in the East or something like that, who showed real, real, real improvement. Um, I largely think that the coach of the team with the best record should win. Um, and so that's O'Shea. And look, this Winnipeg team deserves recognition. They deserve full-on recognition. Uh, and in my opinion, rookie and special teams should not go to Winnipeg players. Um, and I don't know about Canadian. Canadian's one of those ones where it doesn't feel like there's a standout Canadian necessarily this season. Yeah, uh, there's there's definitely no John Cornish to vote for this this year. So yeah, um, or or even Andrew Harris, even though Andrew Harris was yeah. Well, let's avoid the controversy with Andrew Harris. But like, yeah, that would be another yeah. example. Uh, I mean, has Singleton won for Canadian? No, I don't think he won. He won Defensive Player. Um, no, yeah, he was, he was top Canadian, wasn't he? I don't think he was. I think he won Outstanding Defensive Player. He was the best defensive player, but not the best Canadian. Oh yes, I believe that would have been 2017. As we both look to rush to. <laughs> yes. Um, and I mean, honestly, I'm like Singleton's one of those ones where he qualifies as Canadian, but I understand voters not being right. super enthusiastic about voting for him as a Canadian. So. Yeah, Harris um, was 17, Brad Sinopoli, uh 18, and then he knocked Mwamba 19. Yeah, so it's. Um, yeah, Singleton never was, but he was top defensive player. That's interesting that uh, that it was spread out like that. Again, yeah, a guy who spent majority of his life in California, not a considered major. I think that the spirit of that award you give to a guy who came up through the 
the Canadian, Canadian football uh, ranks, right? Yes. Exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I like standback. It's controversial. Um, and, like, it's one of those ones where it's funny. Like, my counter argument is Winnipeg was so far and away the best team. They're their best players to win. Like, we're not really, like, diving into the numbers here. It's a, it's no. a philosophical um, argument. And I think, like, it's funny. In the West Division right now, as I've said, I think Jordan Williams in BC gets rookie. Uh, Canadian, I, I don't know about. I will say that as a one of the Calgary voters, as it turns out, there were four of us. I thought there were only three. It was not relayed to me until afterwards that Greg Peterson also had a vote. I have no problem with that. I just didn't know. Oh, okay. Um, we went with Derek Wigan as most outstanding Canadian, and that honestly is one of those ones where I don't care if he gets the nominate, nomination. It was good to reward a guy who has been exceptional he's this been, year as a leader. Put in a lot of good years, too. He's, he's put in a lot really of good years. Towards this level, yeah. And he just said, you know, he said, he's like, I'm not normally a guy who gets considered for this. So this is a real honor for me. And that, that you know, the, there's a part, this is CFL awards. You're, you're allowed to do that. And it felt good. And I honestly do think he was the best um, candidate for that particular one. But yeah, I, look, I, I just don't think we can complain in the end about Winnipeg basically sweeping these things. Um, no. I think the controversial one in the West will be special teams. Uh Saskatchewan, you're already seeing their media put the push for Brett Lawther. Um, and I have I wouldn't take him over Renee Paredes. So there's, there's no world in which that you can do that. So no. Uh, <laughs> no. so consistent all year, and he'll get it, and then he'll lose to Deadman for who will come out of the east. So um yeah. it's like it's fun and an all-star. We're gonna have to have all sorts of conversations about all-star because as much as I do think Everything I'm saying about Winnipeg, I'm sort of flipping the coin on All-Star and saying it shouldn't just be Winnipeg players. Obviously, the like, yeah, the, the question will be what happens with like a Big Hill versus Sankey, where like it should probably be Big Hill, but Sankey's got the numbers. Yeah, I know. And it, that's the thing. It's like, and but then it's going to go back to he was the top defensive player on his team. He should be a he should be an All-Star. Um and half the time you end up getting a lot of these votes go to best story, right? And you can see why Zach Kalaros is a great story. And, you know, when I covered the awards in 2008 and it was Henry Burris up against Anthony Calvillo, there was a weird narrative that just emerged that Anthony Calvillo was having a comeback. And I was like, coming back from what? He took the last month of the 2000 season off because his uh, wife was dealing with cancer. It was like, yeah, so he came back and had a great year the next year. I don't know if it was necessarily his comeback. So, and and you know, Henry Burris was coming off an injury in the end of 2007 and well, he came yeah. back in 2008. So it they it just became a narrative and a great story. And that's how, what swayed voters. So it's, and I don't but, but regret have... a lot of thought into it and has their reasons for voting. It's, uh, at the time I was, I didn't think a lot of people cared. No, as much. I mean, to put a... To, to just to give any listeners like the perspective from media, like I think that it's an honor and a privilege to have a vote. Um, so I try not to just vote for the St. Peter's guys. You know, I try no. to pay attention throughout the years. I try to vote for the guys, but what ends up happening is you end up worrying that in certain markets, and I'm not going to name which, they sort of all meet and come up with a consensus on who they're going to vote for and who they might lead off, and they're deliberately. And I don't know that that actually happens, but that's you sometimes get the feeling that's what happened, and that gets really frustrating. So then you feel a pressure to try to represent for the guys you cover, which we should not in any way feel. So there's no there's no perfect system here, but I think with so few voters now, 
I mean, there's there's five teams in the in the West, and there's four media voters, and then five coach voters, as far as I uh, know for any of this, and that's not a lot, right? So um, well, one per, one person deciding, you know, two or three people, I guess, deciding that the guy they really want from their team, who they really think is underappreciated, so they're going to leave off the guy who plays for Calgary or Winnipeg or Saskatchewan or whichever other team so that they don't get those votes. It actually has an impact. So I, I it's an imperfect system, but I, I generally think we're going to do the best job we can. And it's an interesting, fun year. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I, I think there should be, you'd expect Kamar Jordan, you'd expect Renee Paradise, you'd expect Kadeem Carey. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly who else you're going to expect to be an all-star. Um, I think Brandon Dozier absolutely should be on the defensive side of the ball. Mike Rose is like an obvious candidate. I honestly think Sean Lemon's had a good year, but there's no way he's getting past either of those defensive ends. I would like to see Sankey or Jameer Thurman get selected. Um, And of the DB group, I think that they've really improved, but I don't know that we have one who we can choose. I'd love to see Raheem Wilson get recognized. I think – He's done a lot, but he hasn't played one position all year. He's moved. So, you know, all-star voting, this is all going to come. We'll, we'll, we'll be t- breaking down this controversy all over the next couple of weeks. You bet. Uh, looking back at last week's action, we didn't, we haven't discussed it. I don't, is there anything of note other than the only thing that I looked at was uh, you take out uh, Coloros, Winnipeg's office, offense doesn't look that great. But I think a big piece there was Stanley Bryant and, um, the other veteran Newfeld didn't play that. That was a two, you know, two fifths of your offensive line, I think is a big, uh, a big minus uh, Calgary looking good and picking up that win. And then Saskatchewan, once again, not feeling great about their the team going into the final three weeks, they have a three game win streak that they don't, I, I mentioned it. It was like, does anyone feel good about a team that's on a three game win streak has clinched a home playoff game and can now figure out, their path and you just don't feel good about them. They seem to make a lot of like they're coming out with wins, but geez, you don't, you, you can feel the angst going on in, in Regina right now and throughout the rest of Canada, because there's rider fans everywhere, including at a Toronto Edmonton game in, in Toronto, yeah. there was rider fans there. So I appreciate those guys, but uh, yeah. What's uh, what's your feeling about that, that situation and whether they should be like, taking this week as an obvious, we need to tune things up and get ready for the playoffs type of week. I mean, I think that's, that's similar to the St. Peter's, right? I mean, we're like, and I will get back to the riders, but I do think that we're dealing with a bomber St. Peter's game right now where neither team fully, like I, I think the bombers can feel like they're a finished product, but they don't want to lose to the Stampeders and give the Stampeders more momentum. And the Stampeders just know that they're not the finished product. So they need to continue improving. So I don't think it's as simple as it normally is in terms of, oh, we're just going to rest um, our starters and keep them healthy. And I think that if I was the Riders, that's, I'd have the exact same approach. I mean, I just don't think you cannot possibly look at post Labor Day or at least post October 1st and say that you think that the Riders are the second best team in the, in the CFL's West division. I don't think you can feel confident that they would beat the Stampeders. I think that they've struggled in games where you really wouldn't expect them to struggle. Um, I also think that they're capable of turning it on. And I think that third game against the Stampeders, they, they put up a heck of a fight to get the win and they, they fully are capable in my opinion, of definitely being the Stampeders and potentially giving the bombers a, a, a run. Um, I don't find that that offense is very dynamic. Um, I think the defense tends to have sort of brain farts that really, really concern me. 
And like, I just don't know where they're great. I look at the Stampeders and I say, okay, your running back is like your running game is great. Your passing game's not. The O line has allowed the second fewest sacks in the league. So the O line's pretty great. Um, I, I look at the like the defense and I generally think it's great all over. I, I look at the Bombers and I just don't see any holes. I don't look at the Riders and say, this is your strength that you're going to dominate teams at. Um, that you're going to win that battle no matter what. And I think that you need that in the playoffs, that thing that you can just go back to and rely on again and again and again. I think it's what the Bombers had with, we're going to put Caleros out for a couple, but we're also going to run the ball down your throats and no one can stop our run game, especially when you know we have the best running quarterback most of us have ever seen. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's what won them in 2019, and their defense was so good. I just don't see where the Bombers are the best. I don't see where they're going to dominate anybody. You mean, you mean the Riders? The Riders, I apologize. Um, yeah. And I, I think that we're, like, genuinely seeing that, like, Cody Fajardo's name probably shouldn't be mentioned as the elite, in the conversation with the elite, elite CFL quarterbacks. At the same time, big caveat, I don't know what CFL quarterback this year has, like, really earned the elite, elite quarterback take. No. Well, and that's the thing. We, we had an up-and-down year from Bo Levi Mitchell, but we know he's in a – He's an all-timer type thing. Michael Riley seems to be fading. You know, Zach Coloros is good. Yeah, I still like. I that's in the league this year. Yeah, when uh, I watched and I was watching the intently the East games over the last few weeks, and I just I do not find what uh, is going on in Hamilton to be very um, you know, confidence building. Jeremiah Mazzoli just looks very uncomfortable in the pocket, and his um his pressure awareness or pressure reactionness is just off like he he'll like roll out early on on a play when he doesn't seem to be having that much pressure and just break down the entire play because of it and i'm just like this doesn't seem like the same guy that we saw two years ago or three years ago i guess it was 2018 that he had his best year and i i just find that he's just quick and panicky he's just not the same type of um what do, what do you call it? He doesn't have the confidence in the pocket, and it just seems to be concerning to me. So uh, the East, I've been watching closely because uh, they're have a bit more of a race, and they still have a race right now, and that's why Hamilton would like to win and secure a home playoff game and um, not have to, to worry about going into Montreal for that uh, East semifinal. So Montreal's got the easier game on paper, but uh, Ottawa will be putting up a fight as well. So uh, this week does have a little bit left in, well, no, in let me, let, I, I don't want to move on from that then. Do you start Dane Evans against the Riders? Uh, well, I, I, was, I was surprised that we didn't even see him at all against Toronto last week. It, it was I'm, it's clearly to me that Mazzoli wasn't having it that game. He was rolling around, like running around and then throwing the ball away so much. I was like, this why why are are we not seeing Evans at least to change things up and figure this out? It, that was kind of a that, they still had first insights at that point, and they didn't uh, they didn't try to switch things off. And then maybe they I don't know what Evans's health is like. He seems to be healthy enough to play. He's dressing. He's been in games. And maybe they're just okay. We're going to ride or die with Mazzoli because he two years ago we didn't get the chance to because he was hurt. And Dave Evans took over, and I would—I'm surprised. So it's going to be an interesting game this Saturday with when they play Saskatchewan to see if 
Mazzoli does look better. Okay, maybe you have a bit more confidence, but get Evans in there and get him working and see because this is not this is a, a lot is on this season because Hamilton has built towards this. They got they have to make a decision on these two guys at the end of the year. And you know, you got the Great Cup back in two years. You want to be building towards another Great Cup run at home. Uh, you want that's a long suffering fan base. It's they have the longest Great Cup drought in the CFL right now, thanks to Winnipeg ending theirs. So they've got to they got to figure this out. And Mazzoli just didn't look good to me. And maybe they. Uh, I mean, like I think a lot of that does go. Like I, I think Chris Jones has made a. Like I think that Argos defense is pretty good. Yeah, uh, and I, I think they. I mean, the Argos deserve credit for the job that they that that, that they've done recently. And like, if, if people aren't convinced, there's nothing more they can do. Um, but I, I I do think like the Argos lay a beat down um, in in that game and. Uh, and that's it. But look, I mean, I, I think that probably if you're the Ticats, you're just trying to avoid any sort of quarterback controversy. Not that there's a ton of media that covers the Ticats right now, um, but a quarterback controversy might be enough to make TSN do the 45-minute drive down to practice and actually cover one. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I, I didn't – look, I think that you're standing there. I think the Argos are a very good team, but they are by no means unbeatable. And I think the Ticats have a home grade cup. And they should be all in on this. They should be going all in. And I, 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 I think Dane Evans at this point is a probably a better quarterback from what are we from the limited amount that we've seen him than what we saw from Mazzoli recently. Um, you got to beat these riders. It doesn't look like the riders are playing everybody. So this this is a extremely winnable game. Um, but I, I'd be I'd be shocked if we didn't see a little Dane Evans. I'd be shocked if we didn't see a little one because well and I would I'd like it well if I was them I would be I'd like to have a little bit more of Dane Evans in action before you have to throw him in you know down 15 in a west in the east semifinal right it's mm-hmm. that's where I would feel more comfortable if, if he played a little get some confidence under him about like just get back into the the whole rhythm of running the offense and um, it's, it's tough. It's sometimes it's when you have two quarterbacks and you think, okay, yeah, we we're, we're great. We got a good tandem, but then as soon as one struggles, you want to see the other one. So it's not always cut and dried. Right. So, yeah, I'm also fascinated. I just wanted to see, apparently Stanback hasn't played against Montreal again. Oh no. Yes, he has. Sorry. He hasn't played against, he has, Stanback has not put up great numbers against the Ticats. Um, okay. and that is going to be an interesting playoff. I mean, I think that that tie cats D line is, you know, you got Dylan Lynn in there. You got like, that's, that's a very good, um, yeah. D line. Yeah. They're good at stopping the run. That's their strength. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting one come playoff time, but you, you know, you want to secure that home playoff date. Um, I, I don't know. I get, I get Evans in there if I'm them, but I honestly, it's been a pretty, crazy week both in terms of trying to keep in touch and i I think that we will as as we sort of mentioned before at some point i feel like i at least need to address the nate holly situation a little bit um so i do want to make sure that we do that but uh it's been a crazy week and i haven't paid attention to what's going on in hamilton they may have announced that dane evans is is out with uh this week yeah i haven't i haven't seen but you know uh, a must win game you and they they kept mazzoli in all last week so it, uh, it's also so crazy, like, just, and sorry, this is just media talk, but, like, 
I mean, Steve Milton is basically the, the media guy covering does a great job, but it's just so interesting. Like the Eastern teams um, are not necessarily even, I mean, I think there's great reporters. I think Tim Baines in Ottawa, Herb Zerkowski, uh, I think post media in, in those two markets does a great job. Um, but like Toronto Hamilton, you just like, it's such an advantage that they don't have media kind of like tweeting out who's playing in every spot. <laughs> well, they have old school guys like the, the guy who covers in Toronto. I think he's still not on social media and, no. and uh, the, you know, the Hamilton thing is still not a, um, you know, it used to be bigger when Drew Edwards was covering it daily and he was very on top of things, but uh, they don't, it, Milton does it things differently. And I, He's a Hall of Famer, old school, and I can't wait to see him in a few weeks. So, Milty, we're going to be having drinks. Um, so, and you also, I will say that if I was in a market where I was the only person doing it, yeah, um, I don't know, I might not tweet out every bit. I might save stuff for my copy, yeah, because I have to beat the guys here in in Calgary to Twitter, right? But then the second I do that, TSN, which is never a practice. Three down, which I'm not even knocking three down for not being there. Like they, no. they, they have a different type of coverage, and I respect that. Yeah. Um, and I honestly think they've done a pretty good job with most things this year. A um, lot of respect there. Not talking about three down, but like I'm conscious of like I tweet something about the lineup that's you know juicy. Right. Before I have a chance to write it, it's probably going up on one of those stories, and you know they give credit or three down does so no no problem there that's how the game works but if i'm milton oh my god no one else is going to tweet what the information is no <laughs> why not just save it for my story so more people read it and have to support me financially instead of getting everything for free exactly in that said do you know how much zach Colros is going to play this week if at all no my only the only so there was uh darren bombing tweeted yeah. that yeah like Caleros should start there will be a number of guys who are not in the lineup so it's not as 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 simple as like they're not playing anybody um but my impression is Caleros is playing I'd be shocked if he played the whole game I I think Bo Levi Mitchell and him will probably both get a quarter um right. or or maybe even the first half but uh what bombing's tweet said I was pulling it up and vamping a little bit there so I could see it in question are Jeff Goat, Jefferson, Nichols, Bailey, Briggs. So, like, there, and I think that same thing with the stamps. Like, I'd be shocked if we seen Mike Rose play, you know, so yeah. your you know, defensive tackle, most outstanding defensive nominee, like, mm-hmm. limped off the field, stayed down for a while at the end of the BC game. Yeah. You want to beat the Bombers. You don't want to beat the Bombers so badly that you're going to risk Mike Rose. No. So, yeah, it, it ultimately, you do want to come out of this game with some momentum, whether that, ends up in a W it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. You just want to feel good about your team going into the final being right, ending the regular season. It's always been interesting because um, the stamps, when they've been really good and dominant um, they've had these times where they get into the final few games of the season and they lose them. And they're what ended up happening in the early 2010s was they would lose players to injury and that's that was always the worst and it's like you get injured because you're not playing 100 percent, right it's you let up just a little bit and you know somebody can break your ankle which has literally happened right so um so you want to you want to keep the, the foot on the pedal just enough to keep momentum going and then you know, you're throwing it full throttle what a winnipeg what a winnipeg reporter told me was that 
the Montreal game, like last week, was their take the week off. Like that it was sort of understood that like, and again, this sounds like I'm discounting the Riders, which like it would not surprise me if the Riders beat the Stamps in the West semifinal. I am in no way trying to say that. I think that it's going to be a close game regardless. But I think both Calgary and Winnipeg are conscious of each other, are aware of each other. I think the Stampeders still carry that you know, whatever you want to call it. I can't believe I can't think of the name, but, um, and I think that the Bombers are the best team of the league. So both teams are aware of who the other are and are, are yeah. scared and they played a close game earlier in the year. So well, it was, it was two, two years ago this month that they came in here and wiped the floor with them in the playoffs. Right. So it's very familiar. And, and the stamps eliminated the Bombers in the West final, I believe the year before that. Right. Yes. Um, so both, both games I was at the pre- previous year was not as bad because it was a stamps win and it wasn't as cold. <laughs> and what's curious, and I don't, I, I, I believe that I'm right about this. I believe that neither the Stampeders or Bombers have a player who has played for the other team previously. Hmm. Um, yeah, I believe that that came out, or, or is it the Stamps don't have a single former Bomber? Maybe there's a maybe there's a guy on the bombers who I'm not well, thinking. But Stanley it, it, Plant would be the uh, former stamp on that. Okay, uh, there you go. So there have there, there you go. Either way, the stamps don't have a former bomber. They have a player who's played for every other team in the league, right? But they don't have a former bomber. Is what I believe yeah. that the press or like the stamp like the CFL stats thing said earlier in the season. It's just and it's fascinating because these are two coaching staffs that have been in place for a long time. Um, there's no doubt a rivalry between them. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, the, it, it was uh, the Canadian Mafia uh, thing came up two years ago or three years ago. It was 2018 when uh, that came up, and it was you know the Dickinson yelling that and was picked up on the mics and was like, "What do you mean Canadian Mafia?" Now some of the Bomber fans ran with it and you know made T-shirts and found themselves. They had a great time with it. It was yeah, the idea did. that it was offensive is ridiculous, but it wasn't offensive to anybody that I knew, but it was just hilarious that it was it came yeah. out with that. Um, but I guess like so here we are, and I guess ultimately, um I don't think that there's any dislike, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that O'Shea and Dickinson like grab beers in the off season. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I think that there's a there's a real quiet rivalry here. And I think that these have emerged as well. The, and it, the, the it, goes back, it goes back like 25 years to when they were both playing yeah. on opposite sides of the football and opposite sides of the country. Like it's, they've been, they've been rivals in this sport and I think they have a healthy respect for each other, but they've been rivals for a long, long time. And exactly. yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't associate with the people you associate with and you don't associate with the people. Now there's, a former stamps coach on the current bomber staff, I believe. Yeah, Pete Costanza. Yeah, so th- there's a little bit of crossover there, but not not a whole ton, right? I'm I'm not sure he's given away all the secrets, but I don't think they have any secrets at this point. You know, e- they know each other. They, they've been playing, competing against each other for 25 years, Dickinson and O'Shea, which was what makes this league great, right? You know, guys on, you know, they have these battles over and over and over, and it just keeps on going and going and going so and i expect both of these coaches to be on these have these staffs for several more years like it feels like neither is going anywhere so this is going to be the rivalry for a while and i hope craig dickinson stays too because uh i think he's a 
like I just think he's a quality person. Uh, I've known probably the best out of anybody that's been here uh, as a coach. So uh, I, I'm really enjoying what we're seeing for the future of the West Division. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, so I, uh, I want to take a minute here to address sort of the other big piece of CFL news that's come out this week, and it's not comfortable to talk about, and I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, obviously, Nate Hawley, former Stampeder, went down to the NFL, had signed with the Argos a couple weeks ago. Um, the CFL has chosen to not register his contract due to their violence against women policy. Um, now, there are a couple things here. Um, as a reporter, I have there's a burden of proof that comes with sort of reporting allegations and what have you. And I, I have yet to touch this in part. Um, that is because Nate Hawley is not a Calgary Stampeder. And I do not cover the CFL. I cover the Calgary Stampeders uh, for the most part. And uh, there's certainly a gray area there because Nate played in Calgary. Um, Nate in 2017 was found not guilty of felony kidnapping and assault. Um, that is something that I think that sort of people have been aware of. Um, he also, over the past couple of weeks on Instagram, a woman posted sort of a series of of explaining that Nate had been extremely dishonest, some, some behavior that I think all of us would say is, is deplorable and disgusting. Um, and then many, many other women uh, contacted her and she posted anonymously their information, similar allegations. Um, it's, it's honestly, it's behavior that I find disgusting and horrible. And I understand that the CFL did do an investigation into it and ultimately came to a... Um, a decision that I think a lot of us largely agree with. Um, it is, I am working my way through what my obligation and responsibility in terms of reporting that is. The allegations are out there. The CFL did did, did the right thing. Uh, but I think that, you know, obviously, uh, I believe women when it comes to these things. I think these are horrible, um, really difficult things to go through. And I'm glad the CFL made the right decision. But I didn't feel I could do a podcast about the CFL uh, without addressing it. And um, still working well, my way through. Yeah. yeah, and it's not well. I would a very different situation, obviously. But what the NFL is going through with the Deshaun Watson situation in Houston, and he's not playing. He's not under suspension, but they've decided not to play him. I don't exactly know. It just becomes a trickier thing when somebody's under contract, and it feels like the CFL maybe has saved the Argos from whatever they were trying to do by signing him at this point in time, or maybe the signing was bringing everything else to light. It's, it's a situation where. And, like, yeah. And we're not, what we're not going to do or what I'm not going to do is comment on sort of how this affects the football. What I worry about is obviously. Yeah. Um, it is obviously the people who, who may have been victimized. I, this is not the same thing as the Deshaun Watson situation. Um, but I don't know. I don't, like there's report talking about something and reporting on something as a reporter is different from doing it when you're not a reporter, there are legal obligations, there are legal things. And I think that trying to figure out what it, what it is. And uh, ultimately I will say that um, good for the CFL for doing its due diligence and coming to a decision that I think a lot of people are going to agree with. Uh, we criticize them when they get it wrong, but they did, they, they, it sure feels like they got this one right. Although I don't, and I'm, I'm not testifying to the veracity. I will just say that I believe women, when they talk about, you know, men 
doing some foul stuff or accusing them or whatever. You know, I don't know what the legal terminology is, but right. um, I don't want to well, hide from I mean, it. I don't want yeah, to. I mean, uh, we've all been through it and we know people that have gone through situations and um, it's very difficult to come forward. It's it's not an easy thing and it's so much easier to just let it go. And then, then you have that as a victim, you would have the guilt of, I, if I let it go, something might happen again that I could have maybe helped prevent. And yeah. that, um, that's the way I look at it. And it's very, that's why I I'm with you. I tend to believe more of the accusers. I feel like it's a very tiny percentage of people who do false accusations because it's very difficult to go through the entire process. And there's a lot of people that will blame the victims. Uh, and the more high profile the case, the more victim blaming would go on. Yeah. And so, I'm, I'm specifically not going into the specifics of what was said on the Instagram because I don't know the proper language to use. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think you and I are trying to like break anything or do anything. We're just saying like, this appears to be a really, just a not great situation. Um, I, I don't want to say what it is or isn't or, you know, any of that stuff. But um, ultimately, yeah, we, like it's, you wish people were better. And uh, ultimately it does seem like in this situation, um, while we don't know the details and the allegations remain allegations and, and, and all of that, it seems like the, the mechanisms that the CFL has in place sort of worked. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. Nice. All right. Well, we've got uh, some games this weekend and then the real fun starts with the playoffs and then it'll be two weeks of playoffs then the Grey Cup. Uh, the season's winding down so fast and uh, we were just a little less busy in our personal lives to enjoy it a bit more. But uh, December is going to be fun. Haven't had football in December in my lifetime. Um, that was Canadian wise, right? Um, I'm Obviously, there's football every December, but... It, Canadian football always ends in the around American Thanksgiving, which was weird that it's American Thanksgiving next week and uh, we're CFL is not ending. So it's, it's great. It's perfect. But uh, yeah, until next week, Danny, I'll let you go and we will try to do this earlier in the week next week. I think if you have your power going and your heat, uh, then uh, we'll, we'll be able to do this on Tuesday, hopefully. So I mean, it allows us to look forward and back instead of just look back. So it's not the worst thing doing it. But I yeah. Know, I'm, yeah. I'm we know what's going to happen. It's Saskatchewan versus Calgary in the following week. Saskatchewan, or sorry, uh, Calgary versus Winnipeg this week. Good football. I'm going to enjoy it and got to figure out who I'm betting on. So. <laughs>